you, if you told Lori, you can ask her after the service. If you ask her, does John love Christmas? I'm assuming Lori would look at you with kind of a confused look and say, nah, I don't know about that. I don't know if that's a true statement. The reason she would probably question that is because my wife knows when it comes to things like putting out Christmas decorations, I tend to avoid that as much as possible. Uh, I find ways to try and minimize my effort in that and to make that as quick and simple as possible. I'm always fighting for less and smaller. Uh, When she makes Christmas cookies and wants help icing them, not really a big fan of that job, you know? I ice two or three, and I'm pretty well done. Then I just eat icing. Uh, Shopping, I am definitely not a fan of shopping. I could avoid that forever all year. I am a huge fan of online shopping. It takes me about 10 minutes, and I'm done. Uh, so, So she'd say, I'm not so sure he loves Christmas. You know what it is? I don't really love all that process of getting ready for it. I'm lazy. That's the problem. But I love once we get there. I love the beautiful lights. I love eating the Christmas cookies. Uh, I love giving gifts to my family and watching them open those gifts. I love all that, all the things that uh, are common in the celebration of Christmas. But most of all, the thing that I really love about Christmas is that every year, we stop and we take this extended period of time and we, we really intensely focus upon celebrating the fact that in a world that is often saturated with sin, where there's a lot of darkness and a lot of hardship, that we stop and remember that that's not the whole story. That the story is so much bigger than just the darkness that's around us. That there truly is light. That God is with us that we celebrate that and we celebrate that big. I love the fact that every year we stop and we remember and we join together in the celebration. Now, we can complain about all the ways Christmas is celebrated and a lot of that's true, but I still love the fact that we stop and say this is worthy of a celebration and we need to remember together regularly, often, what Christmas is really about. Um... Much of my adult life in ministry, I have spent a big part of my job being with people who are going through hard times, who are walking through difficulties, through counseling, through visiting people in difficult times. A lot of my, a lot of my adult life has been spent hearing and being with people in the midst of hard realities. And counseling, many times I sit with people who are processing really difficult stories, times in their life where there's been abuse and neglect and and betrayal by the people that they most should have counted upon. Many times I'm with people who have gone through horrible losses, losses of the people that are closest to them, that they've loved the most and have loved them well. Many times I'm with people who have lost jobs and the security that comes with that. Many times I'm with people who are struggling with those things that are internal, with their own struggles with sin and, and the longing to overcome those battles but feeling again and again pulled back in or struggles with depression or struggles with anxiety and this feeling that will I ever overcome and many times people are asking the question is God really here while I walk through this does God really care there's a lot of darkness in our world there's a lot of sorrow there's a lot of hardship 
There are a lot of hard realities. It is absolutely true. And sometimes we can feel overwhelmed by the darkness, right? Sometimes it can just grab our attention, especially in those really tough parts in life. And it can feel like it's the only thing that's true is the dark. And I think darkness is a, a good word to describe a lot of times what I see people going through. It's just dark. I've used the illustration before of caving. And, you know, if you've grown up here in southern Indiana, probably at some point you've gone caving in one of these caves that are all over southern Indiana. And if you've been in one of those caves, one of the things that's common to do is you get deep in the cave somewhere, and at some point everybody turns off their lights, you know, because you want to you experience that just absolute complete darkness for a moment. Usually people don't keep their lights off very long because you quickly realize you rarely have experienced complete darkness. When you're in a cave and do that, suddenly you realize this is a different kind of darkness. It envelops you. Suddenly you feel very alone and, and very vulnerable and you want out of it pretty quickly. And you know, the slightest glimmer of light brings relief. The slightest glimmer of light and, it's, ah, and your attention is quickly drawn towards it, right? Because you want out of that darkness as quickly as you can and that even a little bit of light really, really matters. You know, one of the things that I've appreciated about ECC in the years I've been here is I don't think we're a church that uh, tries to deny hard realities, the hard realities of life in a world that is just saturated with sin. I don't think we encourage the people in our church to be people who deny hard realities, to hide their sorrow, to, to never talk about the difficult things we're walking through. I think we encourage that. We want to say that's okay and that's actually good to do. We want you to be able to feel like you can talk about those things with others and with us. And we, we do that because we don't believe that a Christian response to sorrow, to difficulty, to darkness is denial. I don't think Scripture really teaches that as an appropriate response or a good response. All throughout Scripture, we are encouraged to actually bring the hard things before our God, to acknowledge them and bring them to Him. Passages like Psalm 147 says, the Lord heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He doesn't tell us to deny those things, but to bring them to Him because He wants to heal them. He wants to take those wounds in our life, and He wants to bind them up for us. And the Psalms are just filled with many, many examples of people doing just that, right? Of coming to the Lord with their confusion and their pain and their fear of the difficulty they're facing and asking Him for healing and asking Him to rescue them out of those tough places. So again, I want to say, even at Christmas, I don't think it's a time that we're encouraged to hide from the hard or deny the heart, or put our sorrow away somewhere out of sight. But I also want to say, at Christmas, and all through the year, we're also called to remember the heart is not the whole story. Darkness is not all there is, right? We're also called to be honest about the fact that we live in a world where God has come, and God is with us. And God is coming again. We're also called to remember and encourage one another to remember that the darkness is not the whole story. Matter of fact, it's not the most important part of the story. It's not the biggest part of the story. It's not the one most worthy of your attention. 
This is also a story of good and of light and of beauty and of love. We're also called to help each other remember and remind each other that the darkness does not have the last word. The good and the love, the things of God, the blessing, that's what will have the last word. So the church should be a safe place for sorrow. Absolutely believe that. The church should also be a safe place for celebrating. It should be a place where we're invited and encouraged to remember the good and to hold on to it and to call it good and to, to proclaim it out loud to everybody around us so that we don't forget it. There are good and beautiful and hopeful parts of our reality that are just as true as the hard things. And we need, I think, regular times of remembering and celebration. I love the way Luke, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells the story of Jesus' birth. Because I think he, he holds in tension the dark and the light, the, the good and the evil. I think, he, I think even in the telling of the story of Jesus' birth, those two are present in the way he tells the story. He starts the story by telling us, in the days of Caesar Augustus, in that time, Caesar Augustus, the son, the adopted son of Julius Caesar, uh, he, is, he has now become the Somme ruler over Rome. He's, he's come to that position through a bloody civil war by pushing out and eliminating his rivals, but he is now the sole ruler of what was the Roman Republic and now under him has become the Roman Empire, and he's the first emperor over the Roman Empire. Um, it is a time in many ways of peace in the Roman Empire, but it's also a time of continual expansion and hostility and war towards its neighbors, conquering again and again. And, and Augustus was one who, who held up his father, Julius Caesar, Caesar, as one who was divine. And in so doing, he set himself up to be a, a son of a god, divine himself in many ways. The Roman poets and writers describe Augustus as the savior of the world. This is, this is the world that Jesus comes into, is born into. And Israel at this time is under the occupation of Roman rule. This is the world he enters. And in sharp contrast to the world that Augustus was born into, the family he was born into, we're presented with Jesus born into a family with a teenage mom adoptive father who was a simple carpenter. It was a humble life, an ordinary life. We know the story. They come to Bethlehem for the census, and there's no room for them in the inn. And I'm sure you've heard before, the word inn there just means a place of lodging. It could have just been a home receiving guests. But they come there, and there's no room for them to stay. A very busy time in Bethlehem, and so no place for them. And and Mary, who's expecting, about to give birth, even for her, no place for her. We're not really told all the details of what happens, where they go. We assume a lot simply based on the fact that Luke tells us that there was a manger there that Jesus was placed in. And in fact, in just ten verses, he mentions that manger three times. Really seems to want to draw our attention to the manger. That's a really important part of the story, it seems. And so we assume from that that maybe they're in a stable where there's a manger. Maybe they're in the bottom level of the home where the guests were staying above because that's where the animals would have been. Maybe they just had to go into that overflow 
Maybe they're outside in a stable, but somewhere they are where the only place to set this newborn child is in this feeding trough. And this feeding trough is, is probably not like the feeding trough that we put in our manger scenes that's pretty and new and cute looking with fluffy little straw in it. It's a dirty old feeding trough. And the only reason you put your child in is because there's no place else, because you don't want to lay them on the cold ground. And Luke seems to want to draw our attention to, in some ways, this kind of harsh reality, this difficult reality that Jesus, this is the world Jesus enters into, that he, the incarnate Jesus comes into, is this world that's kind of harsh, in many ways dark, in many ways hostile and unwelcoming, uh, where there is evil in this world that he comes into. And this is, in this harsh backdrop, comes in the one that Isaiah calls the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Luke doesn't try to hide the difficulty of the darkness of the world around him. But instead, he, he seems to use it like a backdrop, a backdrop that will draw your attention to what is the center of the story, what really matters in this story. You know, like right now, if you look around the, the lights in the sanctuary, they're beautiful lights. You know, they're beautiful Christmas lights. But if you come back for our Christmas Eve service, at some point in the service, we'll turn down all the lights. And then, suddenly, don't the lights look more beautiful? Isn't it all, isn't it all more beautiful against that dark backdrop? Your attention really draws to the light. The lights haven't changed, right? They're the same lights that were there before. But suddenly against that dark backdrop, the lights really stand out and your attention is really drawn to the beauty that's there. That's in many ways the way that Luke tells the story. He tells the story of, yes, this is a very real world. Don't want to hide from the reality that's hard. But then he draws our attention to what, he call, what this angel calls good news of great joy, the center of the story. One of my favorite theologians that I've mentioned to you before is a guy named Murislav Wolf. He wrote this about joy. He says, joy depends both on the objective character of things and on my subjective control of them. Now, if you lost in me in that sentence, he goes on and explains what he means by that. He says, if I find a desirable item on my table and construe it as a gift, I will rejoice. If I construe it as a bribe, I will be disturbed. He says, joy is both a result of this object, whatever my attention is focused on that is good. Joy requires that it be good where my attention is focused. But joy also requires that I understand its goodness, that I construe it as good and respond to it as that, that I see its purpose and its meaning as good. That's also necessary for it to stir joy. He goes on and he says, on the one hand, joy is not entirely self-generated. Because it has an object and is a response, it partly comes from outside, from the character of the world I encounter. On the other hand, I can rob myself of joy by failing to perceive good things as good things and responding to them properly. And again, he illustrates what he means. He says, I can be in a perfect world with the fruit of all trees but one available to me. But if I construe it as not good enough because the fruit of that one tree is withheld from me, 
I will not rejoice. Joy, real joy requires that the object be good, that it be a blessing, that it be worthy of joy. But it also requires that I recognize it as good, that I acknowledge it as good. Matter of fact, I would even say the degree of joy I experience requires that I even understand just how good it really is. The better it is, the more glorious, the more wonderful, then the more joy I'm going to experience. In this story, the angels want us to understand at the very center of this story, this little child in this manger, just how good this is, just how important a story this is, just how worthy this is of your attention, and really wants to make sure you understand just how worthy this is of joy. Because the angels say, I'm going to bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This is good news. This isn't just any old news. This is important good news. This is good news that's worthy of great joy. Not just joy, but great joy. And this is good news for all people, all time, everywhere. This is just not a moment of good. This is the good for all people, always. This is the good news. And if you missed how important that announcement was and you failed to really understand the good news that's before you, then we're told that this heavenly host appears and this glorious song is sung that sings praise to God for the blessing, for the gift of His Son. If you miss how good this is, that tells you how good this is. This is worthy of a heavenly host, a chorus before you, singing about the great blessing that is there. Another author I enjoy is a guy named Dr. Richard Winters. He's a Christian psychologist, psychiatrist, um, and a theologian. He wrote this, Sorrow without celebration leads to hopelessness. Sorrow without celebration leads to hopelessness saying, sorrow's right, it's true, it's good. We, we need to own it when it's there. But without celebration, it leads to hopelessness. And I would say many times we actually cling to sorrow with, and we don't want celebration in those times. A lot of times we hold on to it in such a way that, that I think it's about, as I talk to many people, the reason I think we do that is because, you know, sometimes when you're going through something really hard, difficult, something dark, there's a party that says, I don't want to taste anything good. I don't want to be reminded of the hopeful because it's going to be harder to come back and keep walking through the dark, right? It's going to be harder to keep facing the sorrow and the hard. It, because I know that, that that good, that wonderful, isn't going to last. The, the hard's still going to be here. Sometimes I just want to put my head down and just keep drudging through it, and I don't want to think about anything else. I just want to survive. I want to keep my focus on the hard and just surviving. And Winter says, man, that is a path to hopelessness. The sorrow without celebration, it leads to hopelessness. But he goes on and says, celebration without sorrow is out of touch with reality. If you have, if you have celebration and you never acknowledge in this life there is also sorrow, that's just not true. It's just a lie, and, and a lie really won't sustain you. It takes a lot of effort to maintain a lie. It's, it's just not going to get you through. It's not the kind of celebration that's really going to matter. 
And honestly, it's just not necessary. It's not necessary that we um, have a pretend celebration. It's not necessary because the good news is so good. Because the good news is so good and so important and so true that we don't have to have a phony celebration. The good news is so good that God is with us, that God has come, that God is with us, and God is coming again in Jesus Christ. That we don't have to, we don't have to deny reality. Reality comes with hard, but reality also comes with the presence of our God and the good work and blessing of our God for us his love towards us and his mercy towards us and his grace, that is also reality. I said, I, I like the fact that as a church that we don't ask people to deny hard reality. I'd say actually sometimes we probably struggle on the other end more. We probably struggle on the other end more of saying, let's be a place that doesn't forget the blessing and the good and the wonderful and the true, which is God's love and God's mercy and God's grace. That Christ has come. He is with us, and Christ is coming again. Sometimes we can get so wrapped up in making sure we don't deny the hard, we forget to celebrate the good, right? We forget to celebrate the beautiful. And it is necessary to make it through the hard. We, the reason we don't have to hide from the hard and the sorrow is because the good is so good. It is absolutely such good news worthy of great joy. We don't need to deny one to hold on to the other. Matter of fact, in some ways, to truly face the good, we need to own the fact that there is sorrow. It is the backdrop against which the good stands out so clearly. It is the thing that stirs our longing for more of what Christ has to offer us. So I want to say, let's celebrate Christmas well. Let's have our yearly celebration. Let's celebrate Easter. Let's, let's have those times that we celebrate well, right? we need more of those. We need more of those times that we together stop and remind each other and, and, and remember and say out loud, there is beauty and there is good and there is hope because of Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's not forget that. I, I appreciate all of you who do the hard work of preparing for Christmas, who do the decorating and make the cookies and do the shopping and, and also the ones who prepare the service and Help us to have these times to worship together and praise God for the good, for the remarkable good in sending us His Son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us. I'm so appreciative of you who do that work. Matter of fact, I want to get better at that. I want to say before my wife, she's here. I was going to say it without her here because then I didn't have to follow through. But I'll say before my wife, I want to get better at joining in and preparing and doing the work to celebrate well Christmas. I think it's worthy of a big celebration. Let's remember together and celebrate together that Christ has come, that God is with us, and that the day is coming when he will return again and every tear will be wiped away. The day is coming, and that day will be a day without death and decay, a day without illness, a day when we'll be part of a family without conflict, a day when loneliness will be no more, a day when we need not fear betrayal and abuse and hostility, a day when love will reign 
and rejoicing will be at the center of our lives. A day when beauty and goodness will be pure and unviolated. A day when we will live in the eternal light of God's presence and glory. Let's let our sorrow stir our longings for that day. And let's let celebrations like Christmas remind us that day is coming. And today, even today, we have wonderful tastes of what will someday be complete and full. Let's celebrate well. Let's cry together. Let's celebrate well together because God is with us. Let's pray. Father, how good it is to come together with your people and to know even right now you promise us that your spirit is here in our midst, that you are with us. Father, we thank you that we have so much worthy of praise. Pray, Father, that the darkness in this world, the darkness even within ourselves, would not so hold our attention that we would fail to see you and your presence and your good work and the blessings that you have brought us even now and the ones that you promise us that will come. I pray, Father, for those here even today that are walking through some pretty difficult times. Father, I know sometimes Christmas and the, the joy around them and the celebration around them can, can shine a light on the hard things they're going through and make them seem even harder. And Father, I pray that they would find comfort in you and they would find encouragement and comfort from the people around them. But Father, I pray also that they would let those hard things stir in them the reminder and the longing for what has come in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you draw their attention to you and your presence, to your love, to the hope and of rescue that is available in you. I pray, Father, for all of us that we would celebrate well the remarkable gift of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that the Son of God is with us. In your blessed name, amen.